Hello all, this is Anthony Stockwell from Hadlow College. Welcome to our podcast. The title of this podcast is How to Prepare for the Course Preparation Activity. The Course Preparation Activity is a mandatory task that all students must do on their endpoint assessment. Um, The idea of the task is that you'd know how to prepare the course for play uh, particularly focuses on um, green speed on on your golf surfaces um, the the role of the surface uh, trueness and as well as defining boundaries on the golf course now the course preparation task is um, it's actually quite a short one uh, actually won't take you that long to do um, you're most likely going to be doing the course preparation task whilst you're doing the golf course walk as well. So the examiner should really do them as separate tasks, but they may sort of merge into one activity on the golf course as you do one and it seamlessly um, goes into the other. I suspect you'll do this in the morning as well, um, in the first first couple of hours. Um it's probably one of the easiest tasks to get right. Um, there's no merit or distinction category here. Um, the, the highest grade you can actually achieve is a pass. Um, it's, it's probably one of the more straightforward tasks, but we just n- need to make sure you know what to do. Uh, so um, we obviously don't want you to fail. Um, so, day beforehand of your endpoint assessment, what you want to do is you want to get all your tools and equipment ready. You want to make sure they're available to you. You want to make sure you can have them quickly and accessible on the day of the endpoint assessment. Nothing worse than um, endpoint assessor asking you to get, get tools for this job and you're not having them ready or it takes you 10 minutes to actually find them or they're on the other side of the golf course. So make sure you have these tools ready. The tools you need to have ready are a USGA stimp meter. Um, you also need to have three golf balls. Preferably those golf balls are golf balls that are the same uh, make, model. It doesn't really matter what make or model you have. I'd recommend um, a fairly decent golf ball, maybe three tight lists or, or you know, three Callaways. It doesn't really make too much difference. Um, but Ideally, you want to go for consistency with the same ball. Make sure the balls are clean, there's no scuffs on them, there's no like big pieces of mud. Um, I wouldn't be using a range ball or a ball that was a really cheap type of golf ball. Um, fairly, you, you want to have a nice, clean, newish golf ball. Uh, I'm hoping that you have plenty of those available to you and you should do working on the golf course. Uh, other tools to have available, tape measurer. Make sure it has um, it's listed uh, in feet and inches. Um, stint meter is measured in feet and inches, so make sure you have a tape measure available. Make sure it's fully working. Um, another piece of equipment that would be ideal to have, uh, but not actually essential for the task, is um, spray paint cans. Um, I'll talk a little bit about this later on. But those are the main tools you need to have available and ready. So it's a stint meter, your golf balls, free golf balls, uh, and a tape measurer. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you now about how to use a stint meter. Um, it's a mandatory task, so you need to do this. Uh, every student has to do this. Um, first thing you'd do is 
have all your equipment ready and uh, go to your green. Um, now, what I'd recommend is surveying that green first, walking that green up and down, finding that flat area. It's really key that um, the green, uh, you're conducting this on the green on a flat piece of ground. Now, you're most likely to do the stimping on, on your chosen hole, so you can choose where you do it. If that hole's busy, you may need to go to a, an alternative hole, maybe a putting green. Um, it could be the hole next door to your chosen hole. Um, what To prepare for this, you just want to have in mind um, the areas that you'd go to. You need to know your greens. This, you don't really want to be going to the area on the day, a little bit of nerves, walking up and down the green, find it really difficult to find that flat area. Make sure you know where the flat areas are in your greens, um, particularly your chosen hole and the holes around your clubhouse um, or or your maintenance facilities or the the areas that you're going to be conducting your endpoint assessment. Um, now, once you find your flat area... Um, my recommendation would be use a T-peg, put a T-peg in your ground and that'd be your starting point. Um, then it's easier to describe this through photos or actually going out onto a golf course with you and I'm sure we'll do that uh, if we haven't already. But what you want to do is uh, put the stint meter fairly close to the ground, um, parallel with the ground, uh, put your golf ball on the notch and then lift up very, very slowly. Take time and care to lift up slowly. Once it hits a certain angle, the golf ball will release and will move down the, um, almost like a ramp. What you want to do next is, is let all three golf balls go down. Um, hopefully they don't hit each other. If they do hit each other, redo it, take it again, as that will obviously affect the reading. Um, there's a couple of methods you can do this. Um, next point is you need to measure them, um, work out the average. Uh, okay. Um, some examiners allow you to pick the middle point of the golf balls. Some examiners insist that you add up all three readings um, and divide by uh, three to work out that average point. Just be really careful when you're doing this because um, you need to do a little bit of conversion. Um, you need to measure it in, uh, first of all, in inches, then convert it into feet. Um, there are 12 inches in a foot, which makes it difficult to um, add up all of them and then divide them to find out an average, because um, by Adding up in feet, it doesn't equate for the 11 for 12 inch. It's not decimalized. So if you are, what the best way to do it is to measure it in inches, add them up, divide by three, then you can work out your average. Okay, you've done it in one direction. Guess what you need to do next? What you need to do next is you need to do it back in the other direction that you have rolled your first three balls so roll your next three in the opposite direction um, by doing that you'll get a clear result um, it'll be consistent 
and it will t- it will mitigate any slopes, any um, grain on the grass, any um, any any indiscrepancies where the the leaf of the plant is facing one way. If you've continually mowed in the same direction, you're going to get a slightly different reading going one way than the other. Um, Okay, so you've done three balls in one direction, three balls in the reverse direction. Then again with those next three balls, work out your average again. Then you'll have two readings, uh, one going one way, one going the other way, and find out the res- the middle point or the average of those, and we have our stimp reading. Um, now once you've got your reading, the examiner may ask you, well, is that a good result? Is that a bad result? You need to interpret that stint meter reading. And what, what you need to know is um, what's good for your golf course, what's good for the time of year. Um, I think this is um, perhaps a contentious issue, but um, my suggestion would be anything six, seven foot, anything around that sort of figure is fairly slow. But if you've recently had flooding, if it, if it's in the middle of winter and your golf course is really not looking great, then um, <clears throat> then that that may be a fair reading. Um, anything eight foot to ten foot, um, <clears throat> that's a a sort of reading you want to go for. Um, be within your target speed that your golf course would particularly want. Anything over 10 foot is getting pretty quick. Um, tour events usually aim for 10 foot 5. So that that's what the pro golfers are aiming for. Some events, um, the Augusta Masters, their greens are lightning quick. They're getting to about 13 to 15 foot. So they're very, very quick. For general golfers, um, anything around 9 foot is, is pretty good, pretty acceptable. Um, but every golf course is slightly different. Golf courses may uh, have a target range they are aiming for. Um, so it, what you want to be doing is, is talking to your golf course manager, finding out what your your range is, what your ideal speed is. Now, the examiner will be asking you questions as you're doing this. One of those questions is related to the factors that influence the green speed. Now, there's so many factors that could influence the green speed, and it it should be a fairly simple, fairly easy question. Um, so, as we're doing, it's just going to give you ten seconds to have a little think about what factors influence green speed. Have a think about those in your head for the next ten seconds or so. Okay, just giving you a little bit of time there to have a think about what factors affect the green spin. There's so many things here. Um, I'll start off with factors that you cannot directly influence. Okay, so that they are factors like the time of year. Is it uh, the climate? Is it the uh, the weather? Um, heavy rain obviously is going to slow them down. Um, any activity relating to moisture could slow them down. Um, could be uh, the initial construction of the green, could be the soil type, could be things that are outside of your control. 
Now I'm going to talk about the factors that may influence things that, that greenkeepers can control. Now one of those um, would be the, the recent practices. Okay, So it could be your rolling, um, how often they've been rolled, have they been rolled that morning. Um, could be things such so simple like mowing. What's the height of car? It's the height, if they're very long, they're going to be slower. If they're nice and short, they're going to be um, at a, a fairly good speed. Um, talking about heights of cut, uh, what about the quality of cut? What about the, the mower setup? Um, what type of mower have you got as well? Is that going to affect the quality of cut? Talk about the firmness of the surface, um, any thatch build-up that could influence it, the sward type, the grass species type. Some grass species have very thick leaves, as you know. Some grass species are very um, fine in texture, so type of grass speed is, is very important. Um, other factors, uh, what about dew? If there's dew on the surface, is that going to influence the... Um, the how much um the speed of the green could obviously slow it down um any mechanical or chemical processes have they recent recently been sprayed if you've recently put any fertilizer on the greens if you put a fertilizer down it could actually encourage leaf growth so that would actually slow the greens down um have a think about other practices that are done, things like scarification, holocoring, vertidraining. All of those practices are going to um, inhibit the, the ball roll, the ball speed, so that will slow it down. Okay, another question that the examiner will ask you is um, what about the factors that influence the surface trueness? So, first of all, I think we, it's best to describe what trueness is. Okay, now trueness is how a ball moves over that surface. Is it rolling smoothly or alternatively, is it bobbling? Is it moving from side to side? Is it wiggling? Is it, um, is it not, it, a ball that is not rolling true will, will be inconsistent as well. Um, so have a think about what factors affect that trueness. Now, there are many things. I'm just going to mention a few of these. And some of these can actually be used for speed as well. Um, now, any indiscrepancies on the surface, such as pitch marks, weeds, pests, diseases, moss, um, will obviously affect the trueness. Seed heads from annual meadow grass as well. Um, any top dressing that's been on the surface recently but not brushed into the surface could influence the um, the trueness. Another thing, have a think about the, the quality of cut, the direction of cut. Have a think about... Um, have a think about... If the mower is not set up correctly, you may get mohawks, you may get... Um, you may get sort of mechanical problems or, or washboarding, uh, ribbing on the turf where it hasn't been cut correctly. All of those are going to affect the trueness. Another big one, uh, I mentioned pests, but I have to think about those worm casts as well as they will directly influence um, whether or not 
uh, the true will affect the trueness. Okay, another thing that's um a big influence on, um, or another big factor for the golf course preparation activity is making sure you know how to mark out the following areas. Okay, and these areas are ground under repair, no play zones or drop zones, uh, sorry, and drop zones, um, out-of-bounds areas, uh, penalty areas, um, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what they used to be called as well. So on the golf course, we no longer have water hazards. Um, we now have penalty areas. Um, on the golf course, these are often marked out with stakes. Um, these are coloured yellow or red. And quite often, um, we use aerosol paint cans or paint to mark out between the posts. If you do that, um, it actually makes it clearer for the golfer. I'd say it was a higher standard in my opinion, but most golf courses don't have the budgets to use that spray paint all the time on their golf course. You may use it for um, key competitions throughout the year, but um, most golf courses just use the stakes. Um, they used to be, within the rule um, on golf courses, a big difference between yellow and red markers. The red ones were lateral hazards uh, and the yellow ones were just hazards. It's worth explaining to the examiner that there has been a change in the rules of golf, but they're now all defined as penalty areas. Um, a penalty area, as mentioned, is yellow or red. Um, let's talk about drop zones. Now, drop zones are often near penalty areas, and this is where a golfer can drop their ball. They're usually quite a small area, um, and they're simply marked out, usually with a white circle or a white square that is an enclosed shape, and um, usually marked out with a sign or um, spray paint with the words DZ or drop zone written within the circle. Let's talk about uh, ground under repair or no play zones. How were these marked out? Probably the most common ones, and I'd hope you'd uh, have experience of doing this. Um, but a ground under repair or no play zone is a white uh, white line um, that is an enclosed shape. So it's usually a circle, a rectangle that is enclosed. Uh, usually you'd get your spray paint and you'd mark GUR within it or alternatively and probably looks a little bit more professional is a little sign to say ground under repair. Um, lastly going to talk about outer bounds. Outer bounds are also white but the key key difference here is that outer bounds um, are a straight line or a, a curved line but they are not an enclosed shape. Um, they, whereas ground and repair or no play zones, they're an enclosed area. Whereas um, outer bounds is usually just a straight line. Uh, it's usually a course boundary. Um, you don't really find them too often in the middle of the golf course. You find them on the, the edges of the golf course near external properties. Um, 
as well. Now the endpoint assessor is likely to, if you have any of those on your hull, is likely to ask you, how do you mark them out? How do you... Um, uh, is is going to ask you to actually physically do it. Uh, it's already marked out in your golf course, so one thing that you could do um, is straighten up any posts. Um, you may need to sp- use the spray paint to um, paint in between one stakes or for the whole hazard. So just make sure if you do have any of these on your hole that you have the spray paint available and you know how to use it um it's very unlikely you're going to have all of these on your chosen hole or accessible on the day so what you'll need to do is you need to talk through how you'd mark them out verbally with your examiner um i've never known an examiner to ask a student to mark out more than one um the most common thing is that they ask the Students to make sure that the they're visible, they're clear. So that would be um, straightening up any posts, making sure that they're accurate and um, visible and clear to a golfer. Now the last question um, in this area that the examiner is going to ask you as a student um, is um, a sort of a reflective question. Why is it clear to mark out all those areas? Why is it important that they are well defined. It's quite a simple question. Um, just going to give you thirty seconds, just well ten seconds, just to have a little think about why it's really important to make sure that they are clear. Now, first and foremost, it's for the rules of golf. Um, it's to ensure that the the competition is fair, it's um, that they those areas are clearly defined. Um, the, uh, for those who play golf, you may know that um, the go- if a golfer lands in those hazards, um, they they know where to drop their golf ball. Um, effect directly affects how many shots they're gonna take, or or um, if they get a free drop. So it's, it gives them with that clear definition and enables the sport to be played fairly. Another reason for them to be clearly defined is for health and safety. Um, may not know that there is a particular area there, or um, there's a particular reason that it is um, marked out. So for health and safety. Another reason, um, particularly for ground and repair or no play zone, if you've recently put down some seed, you've recently turfed an area uh, and the golfers are playing from it, they're walking all over it, it's really going to inhibit how it recovers and how it repairs. So another method is to aid that recovery, to aid that establishment of new turf. So that's um, another reason why it's clearly um well it's it's really important to clearly define those areas okay everyone that is the the end of this podcast thank you very much for listening uh, more podcasts are available um a few things just going to leave you with before we we just wrap everything up um rules of golf are constantly changing um every two or three years that they will 
change them. Um, few things that um recommend is checking out the Royal and Ancient website, making sure that you're up to date with all the rule changes. Um, another thing, um, do practice stimping, practice and practice. Go out with your manager, go out with your on your own sometimes and use that stint meter. Make sure you are able to use it. Make sure you're confident in using it as well. Make sure you're confident with the maths too. Um, get to know your hole. Make sure you know all the, the boundaries or the um, the areas you need to mark out on your hole. Uh, and if you do all that, you'll do really well. But thanks for listening and uh, looking forward to having more podcasts available for you uh, so you can listen and um, perform better at your endpoint assessment. Thank you very much, guys.